Well, hey, hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Amazing Seller Podcast. This is episode number 456, and today we're going to be talking about your business tax tips and deductions and bookkeeping and inventory and all of that non-sexy stuff. But you should be interested in this because this could save you thousands, and it also could allow you to sleep a little better at night knowing that your business is structured properly and uh, you know you know where you are. I mean, me personally, I like to know where I am almost every minute of the day. <laughs> like, I like to know where I am. I mean, that's a little extreme, but like every week, I like to be able to look at my books and see where I am financially and also prepare for the taxes that I'm going to owe. And then this way here, I'm not surprised. All right, so this episode is going to be with my good friend, Josh Bowerly. You guys have probably heard from him in the past. He's also my CPA. He's a good friend of mine now, and he knows a thing or two about taxes. So that's why I wanted to have him come on, all right? Now, we're going to be talking, again, like I said, like personal and business deductions that you can take. We're going to be also talking about liquidation stuff. A lot of you maybe having a product that you're liquidating because maybe it just didn't work out that first run, or maybe you did a test run and you want to liquidate it. There's some things there you need to know about that as well that could help you. Also, business entity tips, sole proprietor, LLC, S-Corp, all of those, inventory deductions, sales tax, and a bunch more, all right? So there's a lot we're going to cover here. This is probably going to be one of those episodes that you want to uh, go to the show notes, and uh, whether you use that as a reference point or if you just want to download the transcripts and the show notes, head over to theamazingseller.com forward slash 456. And whether you're starting right now from scratch, you definitely should listen to this episode because it'll get you prepared and it'll get you off on the right foot. And if you're already doing business and you think you might not be doing things properly or maybe there's things that you think that you could be getting deductions for that you're not, definitely an episode for you. So I'm going to stop talking now so you can sit back, relax, enjoy this conversation that I had with my good friend, Josh Bowerly, our CPA friend here at The Amazing Seller. Hey, Josh, what's going on, man? Glad to have you back on the podcast. What's been going on? <sighs> you know, just a little bit. Uh, a few tax <laughs> deadlines, having a baby, the usual. Just a few things. And you have twins, <laughs> too, already. So uh, yep. Yep. life's a little crazy. <laughs> you know, as a CPA, I had to double that tax deduction, right? Yeah, right. Yeah, you did that on purpose. <laughs> right, exactly. And then, then this one, I made sure to get in before year end. So <laughs> that is so funny. And it, and I do want to share what you did share with me before we actually hit record. Is that you know you had to take care of the twins while your wife was in the hospital, and you said, "Man, like I so appreciate like what women go through and oh. kind of like staying home with the kids and all that stuff, right?" Yeah, like especially stay-at-home moms, moms in general, like you guys are amazing. <laughs> I've been two weeks taking care of the twins and I'm like, I need to get back to work. I want to go do taxes. It was crazy. <laughs> it's so true, man. I mean, it. I, and again, I tip my hat to all women out there, stay-at-home moms, uh, raising kids. And, and I mean, it's a, it's a big deal. Uh, my, my wife did it actually, uh, our first child, uh, Alexis, who's now 22, and we made that decision that she was going to stay home with the kids. And you know, sacrifice a little bit at, at first because I was the, the breadwinner, which, you know, I wasn't really much of a breadwinner at that time. I was young. I was only like 20, 21, 22. Um, so I was really, really young. Uh, but yeah, it's a lot of work. So um, yeah, tip my hat to all the moms out there that are uh, stay-at-home moms or just raising the kids, doing all the kids stuff. It's a lot of work. Absolutely. A lot, Absolutely. a lot of work. Um, all right. So everything went good there. So to let everyone know, yes, the baby is healthy and the baby is here and, and all that stuff. So that's awesome. Congratulations Thank on you. that. Um, all right. So what I wanted to do is have you back on because we are going to be getting into tax season. And I always want to have you back on just to kind of do a refresher, but then also talk about like what you've been seeing working with e-commerce businesses, whether they're Amazon or not. And, um, and kind of giving us, uh, you know, kind of a, I guess the checklist and kind of some good practices that we, uh, are going to need to know either if we're starting a business, kind of how to do it correctly, or even going into, uh, this tax season and some things to either ask your own accountant or your CPA, or, uh, just doing them yourself, however, or just setting up things properly. So, where do you want to start? I know we've got a couple of other new things we want to talk about too, this 330-day yeah. thing, and then also yep. maybe this new tax plan that could be rolling out. But let's kind of start with, like, I guess, the stuff that people need to know going into this tax season in their business. Yeah, let's 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 do the basics, the fundamentals. Um, yeah. To, to me, the, th the three main things always comes down to bookkeeping, business entity, and deductions. Mm -hmm. 
So let's start with the bookkeeping. And look, if, if you've heard me on this podcast before, this is going to be a refresher. If you're already doing this, great. If you've heard it before and you're telling yourself, yeah, yeah, I've heard it, but you're not doing it yet, then you're not hearing it. So listen to it again. It's all about the fundamentals. And bookkeeping to me is the absolute key fundamental to your business when it comes to accounting and taxes. Mm. So the, the number one thing you have to do, absolutely have to do, if you don't do anything else we talked about today, you have to have separate accounts for your business. I don't care if you're a sole proprietor and the IRS says technically you don't have to. I'm telling you, you have to. You've got to go get those separate accounts, meaning you need a bank account that is dedicated to your business. It's not a mix of business and personal. You want, If you're going to use a credit card, you want a credit card that is dedicated to your business. right? I'm not saying, yeah, things will slip through here and there. Every once in a while, maybe you use that, that account for, for personal expense. But for the overwhelming majority of the time, it is used exclusively for business. So if you haven't done that yet, or if you've kind of done it, but you're still really mixing them quite a bit, do that today. Get completely separate accounts. Everything else we talk about will be completely dependent on that. Now, let, let me ask you, though, really quickly, and I, I bring this up every time you talk about this. Yep. Um, if someone has a credit card, they have a brand new business, they might not be able to get that credit card. What you're saying, though, is that you just want a credit card, even if it's in just your name, to be used for business expenses. That way you can see that separation. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. And that could be that could apply to the bank account as well. If for whatever reason the bank okay. is giving you a hard time opening in the business name, open it in your personal name, open a credit card in your personal name, but only use them for business, exclusively for business. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes total sense. Okay. Cool. So after you have those accounts in place, then you start tracking what your business is doing, meaning monitoring the income that's coming in and the expenses that are going out. And there's really three ways you can do this. You can use some type of simple spreadsheet, all right? I have a free one on my website. If you go to our website at cpmfire.com, if you're just getting started, if you have time on your hands to do this, this, this option's fine. I personally wouldn't recommend it because there's plenty of free options for, for the accounting software, which we'll talk about next. But if you love doing that kind of stuff and you can make it nice and clean and, and actually do it, go for it. Create a spreadsheet, use a, a, a spreadsheet that we have, whatever it is, and monitor it there. The second option, and this, if, you're, if your business is starting to grow, you have several transactions coming in and out, you've got to step up to the plate and get some type of accounting software, meaning zero, QuickBooks Online. There are free ones like Wave, GoDaddy Bookkeeping. Right? There's tons of options there. Everyone always asks me, which one should I choose? Honestly, they're, they're basically all the same. My personal preference is zero, but that's, it has nothing to do with anything but being a personal preference. So look at them. See which one you like. Even the ones that you pay for, you're going to pay like 20 to 30 bucks a month. Okay, but what it's going to do is you have those separate bank accounts, that separate credit card. It's going to sync right up to those accounts so that anytime a transaction hits that account, it's going to automatically pull into that software. And all you have to do is go in and code what it's for, meaning you go to I don't know why I always use this example, but you go to Walmart and buy a $200 printer. Mm -hmm. Right. And that $200 charge from Walmart is going to hit your zero account, whatever bookkeeping software you use. All you do is go in there and code it to office expense. Okay, so it's not fully automated. There's still some work involved for you, but it's partially automated. It's automatically going to come through as opposed to having a spreadsheet that everything you do, you have to manually go in and do it. Gotcha. But this is de definitely the next step up. If you're, I recommend you even get started with this, but especially once your business really starts go get going, step up from the spreadsheet, use accounting software. Yeah. That's Go ahead. Get a no, question. no, I, no, I was just going to, I was just going to add, um, you know, what we're using right now is Fetcher and, yeah. and I use Fetcher. Greg's a good friend of mine. Um, it's so super simple, but the cool thing with this one that I love, it's like zero in a sense to where it syncs up to your Amazon account as well. So what's happening is behind the scenes, like pay-per-click cost is all coming out of there. It's in your Fetcher account. Um, all your cost of goods, you enter them once. So you would basically say, I got a new garlic press. It costs uh, $3 to land, 25 cents to get it to Amazon. It's done. Now, every time you sell one, it goes in as a cost of goods. Your refunds are all tracked. Um, you know, if you want to add in a monthly expense, like say you have tax jar, you would put that in. It's $39.99. It's going to be a rebill. It's going to automatically rebill every single month. Uh, same thing, like you said, you can automate some things, but then also there's things that you might have to manually do or semi-manually do. I like this one myself because you kind of grow with that software as well. So it goes by transactions. So depending on how many transactions you're running, your plan might only be 29 bucks. You start going to get more, you're going to you get more transactions. Let's say you go from 5,000 transactions to, you know, anywhere between five and 10. Well, then it might go to 39 or 49, whatever the the, the breakdown is. Um, so I would recommend checking that out. It's like a third. Yeah. There's like a 30 day free trial too. If you go through my link, um, the amazing forward slash fetcher, that is an affiliate link, but 
You guys know I only promote products that I'm a, a fan of. Zero, I hear a lot of people rave about that as well. But like you said, just use something. Wave, I've used Wave as the free version, but that's a lot more uh, manual doing stuff. Um, but when I've seen Fetcher, it was pulling in the data for me. I can go there right now and see exactly where I am pretty much um, today or even, you know, we just had Cyber Monday, which was crazy. I can see what I profited that day pretty much, nice. uh, which is pretty cool. So um, just wanted to kind of throw that out there. Uh, yeah, I like the, you and I, have you've told me a lot about Fetcher and I've, I've had a few other clients do it that, that love it so far. I haven't actually been on the back end of their system yet. Do they sync up with your bank accounts as well on top of syncing up with Amazon? Um, that I don't know 100%. I don't believe so. Um, at, at least at this stage, um, but that would be something I'd have to dig into. Um, we have not synced it up to our account uh, as far as our, our checking or um, okay. even credit cards at this point. Um, because to be honest with you, a lot of our expenses are the Amazon fees and our monthly sure. dues and all that stuff. So like if we go out and get a printer, it would be the matter of us scanning something and then you know manually inputting that. So I love the fact that they sync up with Amazon and break that down because that is honestly, even if you're using accounting software, that gets super confusing mm. because what's going to happen is it's going to, in your books, it's going to show only the amount that Amazon deposits where it sounds like Fetcher is going to show exactly what's going on in Amazon. Well, yeah, so I'm wondering, it does refunds. It does right. uh, even like miscellaneous storage fees that were, you know, there. So like you said, normally what we used to do is we'd say, okay, you know, we brought in 20 grand. And they deposited, you know, whatever, let's, let's say four grand. Well, the rest of that is all Amazon fees, basically. Now we got to figure out what pay-per-click is. We got to figure out what refunds are. We got to figure out all that other stuff to really get it down to like an accounting part where we can see a spreadsheet of that stuff. With Fetcher, it kind of does all that for you. Perfect. No, that's, that's fantastic. I think even if you're already using accounting software, it sounds like I, I would, I would be looking into Fetcher just to break down that Amazon mm. because the other accounting software out there isn't going to do it. So. Yeah. 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 So anyway, that's uh, just my two cents on it. But anyway, all right. So moving on. So it's important to just get a spreadsheet of some kind to get this stuff. So this way here, you can see what's happening in the business. Yep, exactly. And there's there's several reasons for that. Number one, just forget about the taxes. How can you know what your business is doing? How do you, how can you know where to improve if you have no idea what your numbers are? You know what I mean? Like, 100%, there's so yeah. many people that come to me at taxis and they're like, like, well, how the business do? Like, oh, I think I did pretty good. And then I look at it, I'm like, dude, you lost thirty thousand dollars last mm -hmm. year, and they just had no idea because they weren't monitoring it. You know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah, huge there. The third option I'll I'll set throw out there is outsource it completely. So if you're if you're if we're talking about this and you're like, God, this sounds like a headache. I'm I'm never gonna do this. I don't wanna do this. I don't understand it. Especially if your business is starting to cash flow and you have the money to support it, outsource it completely, meaning hire a bookkeeper. Mm -hmm. Uh you, you, you may be thinking, God, that's gotta be expensive. Yeah, if you bring in an internal bookkeeper, it might be, but it, there's so many companies out there that will outsource this completely for anywhere from 200 bucks to 500 bucks a month, depending on how big your business is. Mm -hmm. They'll handle all of this for you. So if, if you're not going to do a spreadsheet, you know you're not going to touch accounting software. It's got to be done one way or another. Spend the money to have someone do it for you. Yeah. Now, let, let me just, I, mean, I know I'm going to get people asking this question. Like, so where yep. would you recommend? Does your does your office do that? I'm not, I, I'm not even sure if you yep. guys do the bookkeeping. So we actually just started this summer offering a package where we will do this on top of your taxes for you. We partnered with a company called Bench, who is bookkeeper. Oh, I know Bench, yeah. Yep. Yep. So we partner exclusively with them. They handle the bookkeeping side. They, they, they give that information to us. We handle the tax side and we're, we're kind of all on the same team for you. Oh, so nice. Nice. Yeah, okay. We can absolutely help you there. All right, cool. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, well, I'll, I'll drop that stuff in the show notes. You guys can get, uh, the links and stuff to, if you're interested in, uh, in looking into that bookkeeping, because I agree with you at, at some point, if it's like something you don't want to do or someone on your team or you're, you know, you're in your business that doesn't want to do it, maybe your wife does it for you. Who knows? Right. But if you don't want to do it, then definitely hire it out. But uh, I think that's something that'll just give you a little bit of peace of mind. Yeah, absolutely. The bottom line is it has to get done. Yep. So however you know you're going to comfortably do it, mm. do it. That, that, that's what it comes down to. Sure. So, yep, that, that, that's the biggest thing to me. Get that bookkeeping in place one way or another. Start by getting those separate accounts and then figure out a system to track this. If you do that, come tax time, your, your CPA is going to be happy. You're going to have all those numbers there ready to go. You're, you're not going to miss out on deductions. Look, when people come to us and they haven't done anything, it's March, and we say, all right, what, what records do you have? Well, I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> now they have to go all the way back through all of 2017, recreate everything that happened, and I can almost guarantee you they're going to miss out on some significant deductions because they're trying to remember what they did a year ago, right? So do it throughout the year, get it done, be ready, come tax time. Now, now let's, let's jump into this really quickly. Cause we're, I think that this is like, you know, a big question. A lot of people ask like deductions, 
Like, mm-hmm. what can we deduct? What should we be deducting that you might even say that some people aren't aware that they could be deducting? Um, one of them that comes to the top of my mind, and this is something because I've been recently doing it um, with my new partner here, we're, we're local, is we have been traveling to the, the warehouse and then offloading and you know meeting with maybe the UPS or the FedEx or the DHL, like mileage, how and what is allowed? Sorry, you cut out there for a second. Mileage is, is what you yeah, asked Yeah, 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 mileage. Yeah. yeah, so mileage is a big one. And a lot of people think like, oh, I'm an Amazon seller. I, I do all my business online, so I don't, don't have mileage. But start thinking about it. Do you run to the bank for your business? Do you run to the supply store to, for your business? Do you run to meet with people for your business? Anytime you're in your car and you're driving for any type of business purpose, that's becoming a tax deduction for you. Okay. And there's what it, what it comes down to is the actual miles you're driving for your business. And the IRS says there's two ways you can take that deduction. The first, the easy way, the way that 95% of people do it is the IRS standard mileage rate. And all you do is say, okay, I drove 10,000 miles for my business. In 2016, the IRS gave us 54 cents per mile. So I got a $5,400 deduction from that mileage. And that simply reduced your taxable income by $5,400. Wow. The other way is what they call the actual expense method. All right. In this method, if, if you're a very good record keeper, you can, you can stay on top of this. If you track all of your car expenses, meaning every time you fill up for gas, every repair you make, every toll you pay, everything involved with your car, and you take the percentage of business use versus personal, you can take that same percentage of expenses. Okay, so if, you're, if you drove 10,000 total miles through the year and you had 5,000 business miles, you use your car 50% of the time for business, right? And you, after tracking all those expenses, it came out to $10,000. Well, you get a $5,000 deduction in that scenario. Okay. So most people go with the standard mileage rate if you're, if you're organize and, and clean with that kind of stuff, go ahead and see which one works out better. But those are the options for that. Okay. So, and, and again, I, I was kind of saying what I think I cut off for you was like, if you drive over to maybe you have a warehouse or a storage facility, uh, and you drive over there, that's considered an expense because you're going over there to either meet with a, uh, you know, you know, a shipment or your, you know, whatever you're picking up some to ship. If you're shipping directly, well, then that's a different story. But we're saying like, what if you're going to a warehouse that would count as mileage? Absolutely. Anytime you're in your car and you're going for any type of business purpose, it's, it's, it's a business deduction. So, I mean, that would even, let me ask you this then, uh, this might be a little tricky. Uh, let's say for example, uh, I'm going to an event to help build my business. Yeah. Is that, is that a tax deduction? A hundred percent. Yep. You would not be in your car if you were not going to that for business purposes. Okay. Okay. Yes. And, and, to kind of put another little thing here in there is, is for like travel. So then the travel of that would also be an expense to get there. So that would be airfare, correct? Correct. And then your hotel stay and the vent ticket that you paid for. So technically you're able to get a deduction for those things because you're learning to build your business. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. Any, any type of travel you do for your business is a deduction. Okay. And I know a lot of people, uh, you know, that are either, I don't even know if maybe, maybe getting started, but maybe people that are seasoned. I know one of my good friends goes like twice a year, three times a year, uh, to, uh, you know, the Canton fair. So basically that entire trip is really, uh, you know, it's a tax deduction because they're going over there to really find suppliers and meet with them and even, you know, current suppliers and all that stuff. Yeah, exactly. And this is where it gets cool because you can get creative here and you can say, hey, I want to take the the family to Florida for a week this summer, but I also want to make it a business deduction. So I look and see, oh, there's a there's a e-commerce conference while I'm there. So I'm going to go to that for two days. And now at least it's probably not going to make 100 percent of your trip tax deductible, but it's going to at least make a portion of that trip that you were already going to take tax deductible. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Awesome. Good tip. Um, all right. So staying on deductions really quickly, anything else we need to know or understand about deductions? Yep. So the, the, the standard you need to look at here is the IRS. And if the IRS are ever questioning your deductions, the standard they're going to go by is how did this improve the bottom line of your business? Mm. Meaning how did spending this money 
either increase the income you brought into your business or maybe decrease the expenses that you were spending in your business. Okay, so like think of it like advertising. That's very easy to prove. Well, I bought $10,000 worth of ads because it brought X amount of people more to looking at my my listing on Amazon, which brings in more money. Okay, that's an easy one. Mm -hmm. But then you start to think of personal expenses, like expenses that you had before you had your business, your cell phone. Okay, your cell phone, Yeah, you had a cell phone long before you had an Amazon business, but my guess is you cannot run that Amazon business without your cell phone. Now that is a 100% deduction in your business. Nice. Okay, okay. your home internet, you obviously cannot run an Amazon business without home internet. I don't care that for half the time, for 75% of the time, you're using it for personal reasons. You cannot run your business without that internet. That is a 100% deduction. Okay, so what that, this is a cool part about becoming an entrepreneur. All these quote unquote personal expenses a lot of them now are business expenses. So mm. everything in your life that you're spending money on, you need to be asking yourself, am I using this in my business? Does this increase the bottom line of my business somehow? And if the answer is yes, there's a good chance that at least a portion of that's going to be tax deductible. Yeah, no, I, I, it's funny. I mean, I've been doing that for years now because, you know, we've been self-employed, uh, you know, even in our brick and mortar business and stuff that my wife and I owned our photography stuff. It's like, and I always was doing that. It's like, okay, we're buying this or, you know, we're doing this thing you know, is this, does this apply to the business and can it apply to the business? And like you said, does it help the business? And if it does, then it's, it's a no brainer. Uh, you know, so that also another question that people get asked is I work from home. I have a home office. Where does that come in? How do I, how do I take, you know, you know, it's a, it's a room in my house. It's uh 400, 400 square feet, uh, uh, you know, of space or maybe 300 or 150, whatever. Um, how does that work? Um, for someone that's thinking themselves, I, I have a room that has, it's a bedroom. I converted to an office. Yep. Yeah. So there's, and actually there's, there's a few things here for, that apply to e-commerce sellers. The first is an actual home office, mm -hmm. meaning you, 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 like you said, you turn a room in your home into your office. Yep. And the key with this one is it has to be exclusively used as an office, okay. meaning you can't go to your kid's room and go put a desk and a computer in it and, <laughs> right. and, and run your business there and call it a home office. All right? right. Right. But if you're using it exclusively as your office, now you have, you've turned a portion of your home into a tax deduction. Okay. And, and all it is, is based on the percentage of the, of the office versus the home, right? So if you have a hundred square foot office and a thousand square foot home, 10% of your home is being used for an office. That means 10% of your housing costs are now a tax deduction, meaning utilities, uh, homeowners insurance, potentially property taxes and mortgage interest, though you're, you're already deducting those uh, probably on your schedule a, mm -hmm. and this gets even bigger. The big one here is if you rent, because for anyone else, rent is not tax deductible. If you have a home office now in this scenario, 10% of your rent is tax deductible. Mm. Okay. So the big one here is it has to be exclusively used. And then you just have to know the percentage of the, the office versus the home. Okay. And now I've got a garage that I yep. use uh, for storage. I've got uh, you know, a two car garage and half of it is, uh, is used for storage. I have boxes, I have shelves, I have you know, maybe packing material, whatever. Yep. So this is the special version for people that have inventory type businesses, mm -hmm. because the IRS says when you're using it to store inventory, it does not have to be exclusively used for business, meaning you can turn half of your garage into storage for the inventory. And then same thing, take the square footage of half the garage. So if you know your garage is 200 square feet, you're using half of it. Now you have 100 square feet of your home applied to the business. Oh, okay. okay. So it's the same thing as home office other than you can it does not have to be exclusively used for the business now it can be partially used okay okay yeah no that's that's uh that's good uh now the other thing is is and this is like i think this is an easy one but i'm going to throw it out there if you have a storage unit and you're paying monthly on that that's obviously a tax deduction because uh, some people say well scott you know like i'm not shipping it all into amazon i need a place to store it so i'm renting out a storage facility which actually that's what we're doing in our new brand um, and, uh, we have like a, gosh, it's, it's a pretty large unit, but I think we're paying like 200 or 250 a month. So that's, that's a deduction like period. Absolutely. Yeah. Right? Like you would not have that storage unit if you did not have this business clear hundred percent deduction. Exactly. It gets a little tricky. Like you said, if you're taking a kid's bedroom and converting that into an office and you have, you know, star Wars on the wall behind you <laughs> and you have the bed sheets and all that stuff. And then you have a little corner office uh, or a little computer desk, um, that gets a little tricky. Um, you know, you'd have to, you'd have to use that for an office or you'd have to definitely make sure that you made sure it was an office. If you ever got audited, <laughs> the IRS came and knocked on your yeah. door. Right? Hey, we got to see that room. We think you got a storage unit in there and it's really your kid's bedroom with a whole bunch of Legos. Uh, <laughs> hey, Hey, sir, people, 
people really get scared about that. I, I will say I've never had a client that, that that the IRS has questioned their home office and came and looked at it. So yeah. don't that's not an invitation to get crazy with it. But I mean, you don't have to be sleep sleepless nights thinking, oh my God, the IRS is going to knock on my door tomorrow and I have Star Wars wallpaper up. You'll <laughs> be painting it like midnight. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> all right. Um, all right. So uh, that's that. Um, the other one is, and I know this one we have to touch on because this is a big mistake. And I think uh, people think that they are able to take a deduction for their inventory that they have not sold. And this is a big one because even myself in the beginning, I was thinking to myself, here we are, it's December 29th. I'm going to go ahead and buy $10,000, $20,000 worth of inventory. And that immediately would become a write-off. And that is not the case because until you sell it, it does not become a deduction, correct? Yeah. So this is where I give the most bad news to, to Amazon sellers or, or e-commerce sellers in general. They do exactly what you said. They'll get to the end of the year. Someone will tell them that it's a great idea to spend a bunch of money before the end of the year to lower their tax liability. So they go buy $20,000 worth of inventory on December 29th and they find out that's not tax deductible. Why? Because the IRS says, so let me run, let me, let me say this part first with any other expense, if you're on cash basis, which everyone listening to this will be almost everyone listening to this will be on cash basis. And soon as you spend the money, it's a tax deduction. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I go on December 26 and go buy a printer at Walmart, but I'm not going to use that until January, it's still a deduction in 2017 with inventory is a completely different scenario. It is not a deduction until you sell it. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if you buy $10,000 worth of inventory and at the end of the year, you still have $5,000 worth of it sitting there, you can only deduct $5,000. The other $5,000 will be deducted in 2018 when it's sold. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it does. And I mean, again, that's why I like Fetcher, uh, because what that'll do is I've already loaded in the cost of the goods. So when I see my number, that is my number. It's taking the deduction for the item that has sold, but it, it is not accounting for, I've got thousand units still in inventory sitting there ready to be sold. That does not count. So again, that's why you have to determine, uh, you know, obviously your cost of goods, but then you have to know that when you are, uh, putting in your deductions that you're only putting in the items that have sold, not the stuff that is going to be sold. I mean, it's great that you got inventory and it's going to be sold and everything, but you're not going to really be able to take that until you sell it, which could be in 2018 or 19, whatever, uh, you know, year it is. Uh, but you got to be really clear on that. Do not think that you're going to, you know, basically get a deduction of 25,000 cause you just, you know, put in this huge order and then you're like, cool, now I've, you know, done this and I've, I'm not going to have to pay tax on 25,000. That's not, that's not how it's going to work. Um, yep. so you definitely do not want to fall into that trap. Um, and it, you know, it does kind of stink because you're like, well, I'm investing in my business. You are, but you know, you haven't sold it yet. So they're looking at it like that could sit there for years. Now, let me ask you this. We get people that say all the time, I launched a product. I had a guy just the other day. I want to liquidate the product. Um, you know, it's got 400 units, maybe five bucks a piece, you know, so I want to liquidate this. And, you know, I mean, let's just, you know, let's say it's uh, 2000 $3,000, whatever. And I don't sell it. I just want to take it as a loss. Can I take that as a loss? Yeah. So there's, there's what they call scrapped inventory, meaning it's unsellable. You're never going to do anything with it. You're throwing it out. Okay. If you do that, it's, it's, it basically is treated the exact same way as if you sold it, it moves into cost of goods sold because it's never going to be sold. So, and, and there's two ways you can do that. Some people just scrap it. It's, it's worthless. They throw it in the trash that immediately becomes a cost of goods sold. If you were to, some people say, okay, I can't sell it, but there's actually nonprofits that could use this. So I'm going to go donate this to a, to Goodwill, whoever, whoever mm. could use it. Okay. All right perfectly acceptable there as well. It just gets treated as a donation instead of cost of goods sold. Oh, okay. okay. So it just, it, it, same deduction just gets marked differently. Got but it. yes, absolutely. It, and, and that's something, that's actually a good point I never thought of. That's something to look at. As you, if you want to look at how to maybe lower your tax liability at the end of the year, if you think that's a possibility, look through your inventory before year end and say, you know what, this $2,000 worth of inventory is never going to sell. It's, it's bad. It's junk. I'm going to throw it out. And I'm going to take that loss this year instead of having that push forward as unsold inventory. Okay. And so my natural question would be like, okay, and if I do that, um, you know, let's say that there's uh, $5,000 that I've got in inventory and it's just sitting there. I'm not going to do anything with it. Um, I'm just going to scrap it. You know, like I take that deduction, you know, is there anything that I have to be concerned with to prove that I've actually destroyed it? You no, I mean, I, I 
Yeah, no, because the, the thing with the IRS is it all comes down to documentation, right? Mm. So the more proof you have, the better. Um, I, I would certainly note it. I'd maybe even make a note why it was scrapped, like what was wrong with it. Maybe, I mean, if you want to get really crazy, go take a picture of yourself dumping it in the dumpster. Or take <laughs> take a picture of it in there. Like that sounds crazy, but that's, that's you want extreme backup. There mm. it is. But for the most part, so... If if the IRS, let's say the IRS were to audit you, and, and let's be clear here, like this is one percent of the people or less that get audited, mm-hmm. so don't lose sleep over this stuff. But if it were to happen to you, and they're questioning whether you deducted inventory that was that wasn't sold yet, all they're going to do is come and take an inventory count. So they they might come if you have a storage unit, they'll come to your storage unit and say, oh wait a minute, you took this much of a deduction, and there's but there's still this much inventory sitting there. Mm. Okay, so it it is something that would be fairly easy to prove in my mind. Okay, and so I've got actually a situation here, so I'll ask you on the fly. I've got a situation, uh, it was, I think it was uh, the middle of 2016 that I had some, uh, we had some inventory. We started going into, um, in our open brand, we were just, you know, going after this trend and uh, it got saturated, but also there was some uh, violations in uh, trademark and also in, uh, uh, not not trademark, I'm sorry, uh, patent. So there's a patent pending type thing. So we just said, you know what? We're just not even going to go down that road. We're just going to scrap it. I've got some units sitting there in a warehouse. So that was back in 2016. Does that carry over even though, because I could still sell it today? So are you saying that you took it as a loss that year? I did not. I did not. Okay. Yeah. So it it doesn't matter. Now you could say, you know, that's, that's junk. Let's throw it out. Now you, now you move it to cost of goods sold. Mm, Okay. I think I just got a deduction for the year. Absolutely. (laughs) That's pretty cool. I'm glad I had you on Josh. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. I'm not even kidding. Cause we were actually talking about that. I was going to use it maybe as a, uh, as like a a self-liquidating offer. I was going to, but then I'm like, I'm still putting it out there. It's, it's not, you know, we, we didn't get sent a letter. We just heard that people were getting a letter sent. So we just kind of said, you know what, we're going to remove it. We're not even going to do it. just going to scrap it. And that's what we did. And I've been meaning to just kind of maybe just self-liquidate it, but in the same breath, I don't want it kind of floating out there. Um, so that might be something to do. So, all right, cool. So awesome. I'm glad we had this call. See you later, Josh. Uh, (laughs) No. All right. So again, I think that's great. It's a great, uh, real life example of kind of the inventory just because it wasn't deducted. It means that I still have it and I could sell it today. So what you're saying is it doesn't get stale. It doesn't get old. It's just, it's been in my warehouse for two years. Right. Yeah, exactly. It, gotcha. it could be some, a situation where it gets stale and old and then you just throw it out. It, it, basically, the bottom line is, are you scrapping it for no matter what the reason? Is yeah. it patent infringement? Is it junk? Was it defective? Yep. Whatever it is, if you're not going to sell it, that's no longer inventory. Okay, cool. Love it. All right, cool. Um, anything else on deductions before we move on? I know no, we covered was, quite a bit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I think asking yourself those questions, though, and, and uh, maybe you can recap that. What's the question or the questions that I should be asking myself when I'm thinking about taking a deduction? Yep. So the question is, is this improving the bottom line of my business? Mm. If the answer is yes, there chances are there's at least a portion of it you can deduct. And look, it, some people, are, I, I was on a podcast yesterday and uh, we were talking about this kind of stuff and they were saying, well, I worked with an old CPA and he told me I could only deduct 50% of my cell phone. So uh, the one thing I would say is you need to work with a CPA that's kind of in alignment with how aggressive you want to be mm. because there are a lot of CPAs out there are super conservative. Mm. But it, and this is a 78,000 page tax code with very little black and white answers, a lot of gray area. So I, I'll tell you to take 100 percent, whereas maybe a super conservative CPA says, no, 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 take 25 percent of your cell phone. Mm. What I would respond to him is I've been in audits and the IRS has absolutely accepted 100 percent. But you got to you got to work with someone that aligns with your personality. So if you yourself are conservative and you're going to sit there and, and be up at night thinking, oh, my God, I took 100 percent of my cell phone. What's the IRS going to say? Yeah. And look, work with the CPA that's that's going to encourage you to take 25 or 50 percent. Mm-hmm. But if you're someone that says, I don't want to break any rules, but I want to push the envelope a little bit and take as much as we think I'm legally allowed to take. And if the IRS questions it, then we know that we didn't break any laws, but they could come back and say, you know what, we, we don't agree with that stance. So we're going to ask for a little more than work with a CPA that's willing to do that with you. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I mean, you got to do what, what you in your own head is, is comfortable with. And some people are more nervous than others. Um, I think through the years I've worked with, well, my, my accountant before you, um, was kind of old school, uh, but he wasn't a CPA. He was just a straight up accountant. Great guy had him for like, gosh, 16, 17 years. And then when things started to change, I started to get more on the online space. It wasn't really what he was comfortable in and didn't really know a lot of the ins and outs. Um, and then when I started working with you, I, I noticed that 
you do know those. And you're also one that's not going to push the limits um, to where you're not comfortable. Right. right. So, you exactly. know, you know that there's some there's some lines that you can not cross, but there's some lines there and you have to know that, listen, you're, you're, you are doing something that's not legit. Like my father had an accountant years ago. This guy was showing like a loss for their business for like the first four or five years <laughs> and it's fine, but you know, it also hurt him because then so social security, you're not paying any tax, you know, so it's that whole thing. Right. He, he was kind of shady. Right. And, right. and so yep. I think that you just have to, you have to get someone like a CPA, um, whether it's you or someone else, and you have to get that relationship with them and understand that you're on the same page. Um, Absolutely. and I think that's, that's good. That's good advice. Um, all right, cool. So we talked about the, uh, bookkeeping. I think that's important. We talked yep. about deductions. I think that is the other thing I want to talk about. And this is another thing that a lot of accountants, um, and CPAs might not agree on, or maybe old school does is yep. when you're talking about forming the right entity. Yeah, exactly. So let's, let's address that. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. So there's there's really there's four entities, right? There's the sole proprietorship, or if you have a partner, it's just called a general partnership, meaning mm -hmm. you never form any type of entity. You just hit the ground running. Okay. The next step up is an LLC, a limited liability company. Mm -hmm. Next step after that is an S corporation. The next step after that is a C corporation. For 99.9% .9 of the people listening to this, a C corporation will never make sense. So let's just eliminate that from the discussion. Mm -hmm. So you're just, you're really, when it comes to your business, you're choosing between a sole proprietor, an LLC, and an S corporation. Mm -hmm. And there's, let, let's talk about this, how all, all, where these three are all similar. They are all what they call a pass-through entity. And this really throws people off a lot of times when they're first getting started in their business. Your business does not pay taxes in any of these entities, never pays taxes, mm -hmm. all right? It's a pass-through entity, meaning it passes through the profits of the business to you, and then you pay those taxes personally on your personal tax return. Gotcha. So if your business has a profit, meaning after all expenses of $100,000, your business pays no taxes, that $100,000 is reported as income on your personal tax return, you pay taxes. And where that really throws people off is it doesn't matter whether you quote-unquote pay yourself any or all or somewhere in between of that $100,000, you still pay taxes on it. So if it made $100,000, you have another job where you make money. So you didn't touch any of that money. You left it all in the business. You're still paying taxes on $100,000. Hmm. Okay. So starting from that, does that, that part make sense? Yeah, it does. It does. Okay. And, and, uh, you know, so I think people think that the business itself, uh, it, and, and again, we're talking about your business, your business could just be your social security number and, you know, a, a name that you have and you registered as a DBA, like that could be your business sole proprietor, right? Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. You just hit the ground running on and on, on that, but you're, it's still a business, right? Still a business. Right. Right. So that, that's where they're all similar. They're all pass through entities. You're going to pay taxes on hundred percent of those profits, whether you right. touch them or not. Right. Okay. Here's where, so and the other thing that confuses people, a sole proprietor and an LLC for tax purposes are the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. An LLC saves you absolutely no taxes when, as opposed to a sole proprietor. Okay. All right. So where an LLC comes into play is potential legal protection. Mm. As a sole proprietor, you and your business are one and the same. Okay. It could vary. Like you said, it could be operating under your personal name. It's probably operating under your social security number. Even if you were to get a separate name and an EIN for the business, you and the business are still one in the same. Mm -hmm. Once you form an LLC, it's, it's called a limited liability company because it limits your personal liability within the company. So now it almost acts as a wall. So there's you, there's a wall, and there's a business. So if someone sues the business, in theory, they're not suing you personally. Right. And look, I'm, I'm not an attorney. You're not an attorney. Talk to an attorney about this. There, there's, there's limits there on how much you're protected. But that's the idea of it. It, it places that wall between you and the business. Yeah. But again, understand this because this is a big confusion. An LLC changes absolutely nothing when it comes to taxes. The IRS does not even recognize an LLC. Okay. 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 Yeah. And that, that's a big one. A lot of people think, yep. oh, I formed an LLC. Now I'm legit and... Uh, you know, I'm going to have a little tax benefit here too, because exactly. now I'm a business, but you're, you're able to take those same deductions as a sole proprietor. Uh, that, that's what people say all the time. I, well, I want to form an LLC so I can take all these deductions now. No, nice, you can nice, take no. the exact same deductions as a sole proprietor. Okay? Right, right. So that makes sense. Yep. So sole proprietor LLC, same thing other than potential legal protection. Right. The which I, which I think up, is important to note though, oh, really quickly, Josh, is that yeah. LLC is important. Like I would say do that as soon as possible. Like do that as soon as possible because number one, you want that limited liability. And even uh, again, talk to your attorney. We're not attorneys, that whole thing. But 
you know, for me personally, it's just another barrier, another thing that would, it would be in, in the way of me not saying that they couldn't still come after, you know, me. Cause I know that there's probably some attorneys out there that could make it. So it, it does get to me. Right. So right. it's just one of those things. And that's why I'd say, you know, have your liability insurance, like try to protect yourself as much as possible. But also I think it's important. This is kind of going back to what you said in the beginning is have those separate accounts. If you have an account that's even labeled with your name. Now it's your LLC or now it's even just your brand name on the check, right? Or on the checking account, that account is technically what the business has. But if you're mixing things, how would they know where they would be able to go to pull, you know, or sue, right? right. So to me, exactly. that's another reason why you would want a separate account. Like, Hey, the business has got 20 grand in the account. Sue the, sue the business. You're going to, you're going to go after 20 grand or, or maybe any inventory that we have or whatever. That's me thinking common sense wise. I don't know if that's hundred percent accurate, but it just makes absolutely. me think that keeping things separate. No, absolutely. That's a good point. If you form the LLC with the idea of separating you from the business, but you're still commingling your funds, guess what? That LLC is completely worthless right. because you guys are not separated now. Yeah. So great point there. The, the other thing, I agree completely with what you said that I would from day one, just go ahead and form an LLC. Right. For, the, for another reason, it's extremely flexible. Mm -hmm. Meaning as an LLC, you can operate as a sole proprietor. You can operate as an S corporation, which we'll talk about next. And you can even operate as a C corporation, which like I said, is extremely rare. But if you fall into that, that's an option. So the LLC has a flexibility to be taxed as any of those entities. Mm -hmm. So to me, I, I, from day one, or if you're listening to this now, I would just go ahead and form the LLC for several reasons. It's just, and in most states, it's it's pretty inexpensive. You might mm -hmm. pay someone five hundred to a thousand dollars to do it. Maybe your state charges a couple hundred bucks, but go ahead and do it. It's 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 going to make your life simpler. Yeah, and uh, going back to deductions, uh, it's a deduction. So if you pay exactly. five hundred, you get to deduct it off your taxes. Exactly. <laughs> All right, cool. So let's talk about the other the other forms. Yep. So the the last step up here that people should be considering is the S corporation. Okay, and. This one, it, it offers the same type of um, legal protection potentially that an LLC does, but it has potential tax benefits. So let's go back to how a sole property and an LLC work, right? Scenario, you're t you, you make $100,000 profit. And again, when we say profit, I know people get confused sometimes with this terminology. If your business makes $100,000 total, you have $50,000 in all your expenses, your profit is $100,000. That's what you pay tax on, mm -hmm. right? Your tax pers personally at your ordinary tax rates on that $100,000 and then it turns around and gets hit with what they call self-employment tax, which is an additional 15.3% tax, right? So if you're doing the quick math there, $100,000, that's an additional $15,000 in taxes. And all that is, is Social Security and Medicare taxes, right? If, if you've ever had a paycheck before, you've seen they take out Social Security and Medicare taxes. What you probably don't know is, or you may not know, is your employer is also matching that those Social Security and Medicare taxes that you're paying. And the IRS is getting a total of 15% on those. When you have a business like an Amazon business, guess what? Now the IRS considers you both the employer and the employee and you're paying both sides of that. So it's an additional 15.3% tax. Mm. So it's a huge, huge hit. The S corporation works the exact same way, all right? That $100,000 passes through to you. It gets hit with all the ordinary taxes, just like the LLC and the, and the sole proprietor, but it does not get hit with that 15.3% self-employment tax. Okay, so you're doing the math there. That's an immediate $15,000 tax savings in that scenario. Right. That and sounds pretty good. <laughs> th that sounds really good. Here's here's the concern that I hear, right? You know what I'm going to yep. say. People yep. say, yeah, but aren't the, you know, isn't the government like the IRS, don't, don't they, aren't they aware of this? Like, you know what I mean? Like, aren't, aren't they aware that that's going to happen? And, uh, you know, like maybe someone's going to go ahead and just say that, uh, their, their pay is all of the profit and they're not going to pay anything on it. Um, or I'm sorry that they're not going to take anything for pay and they're just going to take and say that the business made the full amount and they're not going to pay tax on that. So why don't you answer yep. that question? You, you've hit the snag. Yep. All right. This, this is the S corp is fantastic. It, it can, we'll talk about how, but it can still, it can save you a ton of money, but the IRS recognizes that you're getting rid of all those taxes. So they come in and say, okay, fine. You can treat all of that as corporation income as what they call passive income. So it doesn't get hit, hit with self-employment taxes, but as an S corp owner, you have to treat yourself as an employee of the business and you have to pay yourself an actual salary. Mm -hmm. And the reason we're going to require you to do that is because on that salary, you're going to pay payroll taxes, which is guess what? 15.3%, same as self-employment taxes. Okay. So that's how they're going to recoup a portion of it. So the question becomes, well, if the IRS makes me do that and I'm paying 15.3% anyways, where does the tax savings come in? 
Well, the key is, Gaira says, you have to pay yourself a reasonable salary. Hmm. Highlight that. (laughs) Reasonable. (laughs) That means that the salary does not have to be 100% of your profits. Okay, so let's run this scenario. You make $100,000 profit, and you look at it and say, you know what? To, to run my, if I wanted to pay someone else to replace me and run this business, I could do that for $50,000 a year. So my reasonable salary is $50,000. So yeah, on that $50,000, I'm still paying 15.3%, but on the additional $50,000 of profit, I am not paying 15.3%. So I'm saving, what does that come out to? $7,000, something in that range mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, in, in self-employment taxes. So that's, that's where the tax savings come in. Yes, you have to take a reasonable salary, but you're still saving the difference between your profits and your salary. Yeah. And I would say, uh, you know, cause some people would say, well, okay, then let's say the business makes 500,000. So that's, that, does that mean I have to, I have to pay someone a reasonable salary of 250? And the answer is no. How much would it cost you to pay someone to run your $500,000 profit business? It might only cost you a hundred thousand right? Yep. Might 75. Yep. I don't know exactly whatever yeah. it is. And then that's where you can really start to see that tax break in a sense, because now you're paying that employee yourself, maybe uh, 75 or a hundred thousand dollars. And now you're only paying tax on the 400,000. Um, or I'm sorry, you're not paying the tax on the 400. You're only paying it on the hundred that's coming out of that. Is that correct? That's exactly right. Yeah. So in that scenario, you make $500,000, you pay yourself a hundred thousand dollars salary. That $400,000 difference is where you're saving the money on the self-employment tax. Exactly. Okay. And that, and, and that's a re and that still could be a reasonable salary because again, there might be more responsibility, might be whatever, but still a hundred thousand dollars for someone to run a a business. Um, and then for a $500,000 profit business, um, that is probably right. You know what I mean? Like, so exactly. you have to look at those numbers and I'm sure you have some type of uh, percentage that you like to see yep. it to where it's comfortable and all that stuff. But I think you got to be smart about that. It's the people that are saying like, you know what, the business is growing and I'm still only going to pay myself 25,000 and the, <laughs> and the business is doing 500,000. That's where you can draw a red flag. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, it comes down to a little bit of common sense, right? Sure. A, a $500,000 business should not be paying their, their head employee $5,000 a year, right? Mm. So get, yeah, absolutely go for all the tax savings you can, but be use common sense. Like what would you have to pay someone to replace you in the business? That's what you should pay yourself. Hmm. Okay, cool. Um, all right. So is that pretty much it on those? And then we can kind of talk about these two new things that I want to talk about, but is that pretty good on the, uh, on the entities? We're not even going to yeah. really go into the other entity because that doesn't really. Right. Yeah. So real quick, I'll, I'll do a quick guideline of, yeah. of when to start considering each entity. Sure. If you are making less than $30,000 per year profits, and for whatever reason you have no concern about the, the legal liability side of things, you're fine to go with the sole proprietor, right? Quick, easy, no, no hassle there. If you are making under $30,000 profit and you do want to get that legal separation, that's when you go with the LLC. And if you are making over $30,000 profit per year in the business, that's when the S corporation starts to become into consideration. If you're at 50,000, to me, that's when it becomes a no brainer. So those are general guidelines. Each business is different. It's very specific to your business. So definitely talk to somebody, but use those guidelines. And I would actually go back to what you said. And I agreed with it fits me go with the LLC from day one, because it's very easy to transition from an LLC to an S corporation. Transitioning from a sole proprietor to an S corp takes a little more work. Okay. Um, all right. So, um, okay. I think we covered all that good stuff. There is, I did want to touch on this really, really quickly, and then we'll move on to this 330 days thing, which kind of goes kind of like what we were just talking about in a sense, as far as like different tax, uh, you know, deductions or just different taxes that you would pay. Um, Sales tax. I know that people are going to want me to ask you about this. Yep. And, uh, you know, I don't want to go into a huge discussion. They can go back to some of our past episodes of what we've talked about, but I think it's pretty much the same as we'd said before. But why don't you just address the sales tax? Uh, you know, I guess the big question that everyone wants to know, like, when do I start collecting sales tax yep. and, and all that stuff? Yep. It's, it's a tough one with this business. So the first thing you, I would say is you have to you have to be collecting and paying sales tax within your state. Okay, so if you are located in Ohio like me and you are selling on Amazon or selling any type of physical product, you have to be collecting and paying sales tax in Ohio. Whatever your state is, you're operating from that state, you have to be doing that. The big question for Amazon sellers is, do I need to be collecting and paying in all these other states? And it comes down to the word they call nexus. If a state says that you have nexus in their state, they say that you should be collecting and paying sales tax on sales within that state. 
And the big one when it comes to Amazon is, is inventory in the state considered nexus? Mm. Because Amazon, I, what is Amazon up to? 22 different states? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. yeah it's, somewhere around 22 different states, Amazon has warehouses in, and they can and probably eventually will store your inventory in all 22 of those states. So the question is, does that does that create nexus in all 22 or whatever, however many states they have you in? And that's the big debate, right? Some, some CPAs, some attorneys say, absolutely, yes, you have nexus. You need to be collecting in all those states. Some say, absolutely not. That's that Amazon selling it on consignment. That does not create nexus in those states, right? What I would say is you've got to use a little bit of common sense and you have to do a little bit of risk reward. Okay, so if, you're, if Amazon's storing your inventory in Ohio, you're located in New York and you're having $500 in sales in Ohio per year, this not, I would not worry about that. On the other hand, if they have your inventory in California and you're having $100,000 of sales per year in California, it's probably time to go register in California and start collecting and paying sales tax there. Mm. Yeah, and that's exactly what they say over at TaxJar. I, I had um, uh, you know TaxJar on, and we talked all about that. And you know the yeah. thing is, is we're not you know, we're not giving you that legal advice, and they won't either. No one really will because it's really yeah. kind of gray, right? Yep. But uh, it is, uh, something that I think you have to use your own head, but you have to do what you're comfortable with again. That's what we talked yep. about. Right. And if you do use tax jar, which I'm a fan of, and I use them, uh, they will actually show you where your sales are coming from the most. And yep. they basically said the same thing. Like you might just want to start with the ones that most of your sales are coming through that you have inventory in. So if it's in Texas, that's where you're going to want to go. You're going to want to go to Texas um, and, and register there. If it's California, that's where you're going to want to go and start working yourself backwards. Um, I think eventually, and this is just my little prediction here. I think eventually they're go Amazon is going to collect the tax and I think they're going, they're going to submit it. I think that's going to happen in a matter of time. I think because the states all know that they're losing a ton of money that they could be getting and not everyone's going to conform. This is a way that Amazon would control everything. Everyone would be collecting in the states. They would have record of it because they're going to know the warehouses that they have inventory in that's yours. And then they are going to have to do that on your behalf or there's going to be another division. Something has to happen. Um, and I think, I mean, the states would be, you know, silly not to want to work with them on doing this. Exactly. Uh, it'd be, it'd be a no brainer, but I mean, there's gotta be, is, gosh, tons of money. Does, does Jeff Bezos listen to this podcast? I don't think it's, so. <laughs> it, it, Jeff, if you're listening, this is, this is a no brainer, man. You, you have a great platform for Amazon sellers. You'd make life so much easier for them if, if you guys started doing this. So that's my plea to you, Jeff. Yeah, I agree. I'm going to be right there with you. Uh, we'll have to have a petition signed. Um, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, it's something that I know it's a headache for a lot of people. And it's also things that, you know, a thing that people get a little nervous about. And, and again, I think, you know, you have to uh, do what you feel is right in your own gut. And I think the first thing is, is we all know common sense wise, if you are in, you know, if you're in South Carolina, like I am, that's where you want to first start. And that's where you want to start collecting. Like that, it's that's just where a, there's no gray area. That's, there's no gray area. Black and white. You yep. have to be doing it. There. Ex exactly. You have a business in that state. You have inventory that is being shipped to that state for the most part. Um, so you want to, you want to do that. And, uh, you know, you, you, I just, to me, that's just a no brainer. Um, I, I have a question for you on this. Have, yeah. have you ha have you heard of a single Amazon seller that's had a state other than their home state come after them for this yet? I, I personally have not. I have not either. And we, we have at this point hundreds of Amazon sellers. And I have not. This is not to say that will, it will never no, happen. No, but it, it could. I have not heard of it yet. Yeah, I, I haven't. Uh, the one the one sticking point that I see or the, the one thing that could be a snag for people that are selling a business right now and they're not collecting in all the states or the states at least that they have a lot of inventory or that they're making a lot of sales, that could be a hang up for a buyer. That's true. Good point. You know what I mean? Because then a buyer is like, wow, you've been they're, operating. They're assuming that liability. Yeah. You're assuming the liability of the company. And then they might, might come back and try to get a hundred thousand dollars in back sales tax or whatever. Yep. Um, okay. you know, so, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious how that would work anyway, because that that's what you should have paid, but you didn't collect it. So you're really not, you're not necessarily taking money that you collected and then not paying it. Actually, that's a good, another good thing to bring up. That is a big, big deal that I've had some people that had turned on the sales tax on Amazon thinking that handled everything. If you're collecting sales tax and you're not paying it, oh, that's yeah. a big deal. And yeah, you could yeah. be, 
get hit hard for that. So yeah. make sure it just because you checked for Amazon to start collecting sales tax, that does not it's not being paid. Right. You have to handle paying it to the state. Yeah, because they're collecting it on your behalf because you checked the box. But it's up to you to take that out of your pay that they give you and separate it and then pay that to the, the, the states. Um, that's kind of how that works. And again, going back to that, like as of right now, like if you're collecting in six different states, you're going to get all of that money that you've collected on the front end from Amazon. They're going to pay you in your, in your two week payout. You got to know what that is. And by going to tax jar, you'll have that. And then you can separate that. And I think that's smart to do. And then in your checking account or, you know, whatever account that you're using, you want to make sure that you separate that. So you can say, okay, a thousand dollars of that is sales tax. That's got to get allocated for there. So that way when your sales tax is due, it gets pulled and you're not surprised. But to me, if, if you're an Amazon seller, tax jar is a must. It, it, Absolutely. It's just simply an expense that's a must. Absolutely. Yeah. And guys, I'll leave all the show notes and all the links and all that stuff on uh, on this page here. So I'll, I'll give you guys that here in a minute. But um, let, let's wrap up with two things. I want to talk about this 330 days thing that you were telling me before we jumped on. And then I also want to just touch on uh, this new tax plan without getting too political. Yeah, absolutely. So the 330 days thing, the, look, the, the cool part about a business like an e-commerce business, an Amazon selling business is it's what they call location independent, right? Mm-hmm. You yeah. don't have to be, you don't have to go to your office and work from your office every day. You can work, your business can be run from wherever you are as long as you have your laptop, right? Yep. The IRS has a cool little rule here that says if you spend during the year at least 330 days in another country, they will write off up to a hundred thousand, just over a hundred thousand dollars of your income for that year, meaning you will not pay taxes on that income. Hmm. Okay. okay. So, and this is especially like, look, me and you probably aren't going to go do this right now because we have kids that are still in school or whatever, right, right. but especially for people who are either young and single or newly married and don't have the kids or older and the kids are out of the house, you can go and spend a year in another country and that's going to get you a $100,000 tax deduction for doing nothing other than spending less than 30 days in the United States that wow. year. Wow. So, and, and we're actually starting to see this. It's been not as much in e-commerce, so it's starting to hit there as well. But all these location independent businesses, these internet marketers, these bloggers, these podcasters, especially the younger ones, they're saying, how freaking cool would that be to go spend a year in France or Germany or wherever you want to go spend it and get a $100,000 tax deduction. I mean, we're, we're talking that could save you fifteen dollars to $20,000 alone in taxes that year. Mm. So you're going to basically pay for your stay over there with the tax savings. Yeah, yeah. My, my question would be this, though. Now, what if you had a house here? You know what I mean? Like, do yep. you have to cut do you have to cut ties with like what you own here in the US if that's where you're currently living? No. Nope, absolutely not. So there's there's other things here like uh, the the John Lee Dumas going to Puerto Rico. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Yeah. That one you have to, that Puerto Rico has to be your home in that scenario. Okay. okay? You have to cut basically your, most of your ties with the U.S. In this scenario, it doesn't matter. The, the, you're saying the U.S. is still your home, but you're spending over 330 days of the year in that other country, and now you get that tax deduction. Hmm. And so now again, going back to how do you prove that? Just by you can have like receipts of that you 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 had a place there and. You stayed yeah. there and travel and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, you, you certainly something you want to be careful of. Document where you are. Um, it, I mean, it's if you're staying in the same place, that'll be super easy because you'll you'll be living somewhere sure. and you, you can have some place place to prove that. We have a lot of people who are traveling all over at, when they're doing it, so you want to keep careful records of where you're going when. But yeah, I mean, it's as simple as showing them. It, I've never personally had anyone get questioned, but I assume it'd be just like any other tax deduction. Like, look, this is I was in Germany from this to this, and I was in France from this to this. And so technically you could whatnot. bounce around. You don't have to stay in Absolutely. one location. As long as you're not in the U.S. for more than 30 days during the year. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Well, maybe I'll talk to my wife and we'll go on a little uh, excursion here uh, when when uh, the kids are, are all grown up. That would be well, fun. You know, I was talking to my wife about it. Like we want to build a house eventually. And I was like, you know what? How cool would it be if we sell our house while our new house is being built? Let's go live in another country for for a year. How cool would it be for our kids to say, yeah, I spent second grade in Germany, you know, or, <laughs> right. or whatever country you want to go to. How cool would that be? Yeah. Yeah. No, it would. That would be awesome. Uh, all right, cool. So that's that. That's awesome. So, uh, obviously as we get more details on that, I'm sure you'll fill me in and we'll keep yep. people posted on that. Um, and then the last thing is the new tax plan. Why don't you talk yep. about that real quick? 
Yep. So the first caveat here is nothing is official yet. Um, this tends to be what they what they reveal to us tends to be a fraction of what actually passes and goes through. Okay. And we don't know if even it does go through. We don't know if it'll hit for 2018, 2019, whatnot. But we just want to kind of go over some details of, of how this is looking like it'll impact specifically Amazon sellers. And there's a few things that I think are important for them to note. The number one thing is it is going to have an impact on pass-through entities. And if you remember from before, pretty much everyone, if you're a sole prop, an LLC, an S-corp, you are a pass-through entity. And the way that's normally taxed is it's taxed at whatever your normal tax rates are. Under this plan, it could potentially lower that specific income. And what, and I, I think the latest scenario I've read is the first $75,000 of profits from a pass-through will only be taxed at 9%. And then uh, the next bracket is going to go to 25%. And I think it went as high as, in this scenario, 35%. But it, 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 that is something that, depending on where you're at, could potentially save you a good chunk of money. So that's, that's one thing I want you to pay attention to when you're hearing, because people want to know what, what impacts me when I'm hearing all these things. If you're an Amazon seller, e-commerce seller, take note of what they're saying about pass-through entities, because that specifically applies to you. Okay. All right. Um, there are a few other things that are impacting the average person here is uh, if you have student loans, this, this, this one is getting rid of the student loan deduction. Um, on the positive side, it's going to double the standard deduction, all right, meaning if you would go deep into the woods here of standard versus itemized deductions. <laughs> okay. But for the average person, doubling the standard deduction would increase almost every average person's deductions they're taking on their tax return. It is going to potentially double the child tax credit. If you have a child that's under 17 years old, you get a thousand dollar tax credit for that. Under this new tax plan, that could go up to between $1,600 and $2,000. Wow. That part is a big deal. The other big deal with that is that child tax credit phases out completely if you make $130,000 or more. That limit is going to go way up under this tax scenario. I think they said it'd go up to as high as like $250,000 per year. You can still take that. Okay. So that's a big deal for a lot of people reading this. Um, it's going to take away what they call personal exemptions. Uh, so that, that, that one's a little, you get fourth, basically get $4,000 write off for each person you claim on your tax return. That's going away. But when I look at this plan and just look, this isn't talking about how it would impact the economy or national debt or anything like that. When I look at it strictly from a tax perspective, I would say that the average person that's listening to this podcast that's selling it on e-commerce, Amazon, they're probably going to save between a couple thousand and maybe even $5,000 per year if as they're currently doing it, it goes through. Gotcha. Okay. So a lot of, you know, there's, there's a lot of like what ifs and, you know, this part might not be, but this part might be, but um, at least you kind of gave us a, a little bit of uh, like, kind of like how you're seeing it. And I think that's important because a lot of times you'll hear, you know, a lot of talk or you'll read something and it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, and you're kind of like, uh, framing it for us e-commerce sellers or even just online sellers, um, and, and seeing like how that's going to affect us. So it, it sounds it's like just which, which parts to pay attention to really, right, is what I right. would say. Pay attention to right. the pass-through entity. Pay attention to the standard deduction. Pay attention to the child tax credit. If you pay attention to those, you'll have a good idea of how it's going to impact you. Okay. Okay. No, that's awesome. I appreciate you giving us a little bit of uh, a clearer vision of that because sometimes that can get a little hazy. Um, so I appreciate that. And the three, 330 days thing, that is, uh, that's pretty cool. I'm, uh, I'm interested to, uh, to hear how that, uh, how that works and, and also, uh, to see, uh, what kind of people are, are not even just what kind of people like, but how they're doing it and kind of how it's affecting them. And if there's any other things that we need to, to learn about, I know that you said that you're, you're actually working yep. with a few other people about that. Um, how are you going to help people implement that 330 days, I guess? Yeah. So I'm actually working with actually a couple other Amazon sellers. They were, they were clients of mine and they, there was their idea that came to me and said, Hey, do you, do you know anything about this 330 day thing? I'm like, yeah, I know about it. And like, oh, man, this is, this would be huge for Amazon sellers. How can we get them knowledge about this? So yeah. we're, we're going to create a site with it's, it's still in the works. Um, we don't even have an address for it. Yeah. We'll definitely give it to you when we do, sure. but it's going to give you all the information on this, how the tax, how you get this tax deduction, how it applies to you. Eventually, we will even have things like how to network with other people who are doing it, oh, where cool. you should stay in these various countries. So just it'll give you all the information you need if, if this is something you're interested in. Kind of like a little travel guide for people that want to uh, kind of live that 330 days somewhere else. 
uh, I think would be kind of cool. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And who knows, maybe one day I'll be on the 330-day plan. Uh, <laughs> all right, Josh, that's going to wrap it up, man. Uh, this has been awesome. Always a ton of great information and just even a refresher for us to kind of be thinking. And especially when we're getting into the new tax season, or even if you're just listening to this, uh, maybe six months after this airs, it's still great information to understand that your bookkeeping needs to be in place. Uh, you, you need to understand your entity, how to set that up and just some really cool things like inventory that you might want to liquidate or get rid of is actually deduction. I'm going to actually, I'm writing that down like right now. That's like a huge deal. Um, all right, man. So is there anything else you want to wrap up with or you want to tell everyone how to get a hold of you? No, I mean, I, I think the key that you you said this, what we talk, what you and I talk about when we do these, we're not going to give you any big, sexy tax deductions that no, that only the gurus are telling you. We're going to give you the basics, the fundamentals that are going to apply now. They're going to apply if you're listening to this a year from now. Right. And this is where you save the money is by applying the fundamentals. Maybe, yeah, every once in a while you get a cool tax tip like the inventory deduction that we talked about. But for the most part, it's applying the fundamentals, doing the basics, and that's where you're going to save the money. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, yeah, where where can they where can they find out more about you? I know you got some yep. services and stuff, and and uh, and some uh, you know di different education. So just yeah, yeah give them where absolutely. they can go. Yep, go to go to our website cpionfire.com. Um, we you and I talked about it in the last episode. We did start offering a complete full service package for Amazon sellers that don't want to touch the bookkeeping, the taxes, the sales tax. We'll handle all of it for you. You can see that on our website. Um, and we have a free course that's going to talk about the, that business entity stuff that we talked about. It's going to go more in depth there. They can get that at cpaonfire.com/firenation. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, this is this has been great. And uh, I appreciate you coming on. And I'm sure I'll have you back on and you and I will be talking anyway, because it is tax yep. season. And I got a fourth quarter there. thing we got to be talking about here. <laughs> so uh, all right, man, I appreciate it. Um, go take care of those kids. What do you say? I got to go back and do it, man. <laughs> all right, Josh, have a good one, man. All right, thanks. All right. So there you have it. Another really, really great podcast episode with a ton of tips. And in this case, it's tax tips, business entity tips, like all of that inventory, the liquidation thing that we talked about, like all of that stuff, really, really important stuff. So again, you may want to bookmark this one and come back to it, or you might want to go to the show notes at theamazingseller.com forward slash 456. And uh, yeah, you might want to keep this one for reference because there's a lot of big takeaways there. All right. So definitely do that. Definitely go check out Josh. He'll be linked up in the show notes as well. Reach out to him if you have any questions or or if, again, you want to hire him even to do part of your taxes or bookkeeping or any of that stuff, or he can even guide you um, as to where to get this stuff done, all right? So definitely go check out Josh. Let him know I sent you. Let him know that you're a listener of the show just because I want him to know um, that you guys are, are listening and you guys enjoyed that episode. Now, you guys know I don't have official, I'm doing air quotes, you know, official sponsors of the show. I don't say like, this episode is brought to you by whatever. Um, I, I don't do that. What I do is is I have partnerships with people that I use their services for. That's pretty much what I do, whether it's a tool or whether it's a service, all right? In this case, if I had a sponsor of today's show, it would be Fetcher because that's what I use for my bookkeeping and all of that stuff. So if you guys want a free trial to Fetcher and you'll be able to pull in all your data, see it all, even give that to your to your uh, CPA or, or your accountant, uh, even just for those for, for those 30 days, because it'll start pulling in even your back stuff, um, I would definitely check that out. 30-day free trial at theamazingseller.com forward slash Fetcher. Now, I will earn a commission from that, a small commission, a cup of coffee, and I'm totally transparent with you guys. Whether you use it through my link or not, I definitely recommend that tool. It's a great tool, and uh, it's helped me know exactly where I am every day basically every second of the day. I could go in there right now and see exactly where I am. It pulls in all of the data live. I mean, it pulls in like your refunds. It pulls in your pay-per-click. It pulls in, you know, if you had an order that was disposed of, it pulls in your coupons, your discounts, like all of that stuff. And you get to import anything that you want and even make that a recurring. So this way here you enter it once and it's done. It really does make your life a lot easier. And not to mention, I love the interface and the dashboard. It's so easy to read and to, uh, to understand the numbers at a glance or if you want to dig in. So I'm a fan. As you can tell, go check it out. All right, guys, that's it. That's going to wrap up this episode. Remember, as always, I'm here for you. I believe in you and I am rooting for you. But you have to. You have to. Come on, say it with me. Say it loud. Say it proud. Let's say it for 2018. That's about here right now. All right. Take action. Have an awesome, amazing day. And I'll see you right back here on the next episode.